Hello, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we are the voices of Tarbis. And what is Tarbis, we hear you cry? Well, Tarbis is a blog that we set up about a year ago. Yep. To blog about historical places that we'd been to, um, giving them ratings and advising people to go there, really. And uh, to um, eat, because Tarbis stands for Time and Relative Blogging, Including Sandwiches. Indeed. So um, we decided that we would expand a little bit on that and bring you some facts and figures about places, people, events, dynasties, things like that throughout the past as a podcast. Yeah, and because we, we wanted to use different forms of media to geek out over history because it's what we like to do best. It is indeed, and we hope you enjoy listening to it. And uh, if you want to get in touch, give us a review, suggest some things or people that you'd like us to talk about. Here's how you can do it. On Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and WordPress. I'm saying them all because we all have one name. We are at Tarbis in capitals history. Indeed. And we would love to hear from you. So without further ado, here's Tarbis After After Hours. This week on Tarbis After Hours, we're taking a look at one of history's greatest warlords. So great, in fact, that he overshadows pretty much any other king, emperor, or ruler that we might talk about. Alexander the Great? Nah, mate. Pachacuti? Pachahuti? If you're listening to this, and you can trace your ancestry to Europe or Asia, there's even a high chance you're related to him. Yes, dear listeners, and possibly cousins, this week we're talking about the great conqueror himself, Genghis Khan. There's quite a lot to talk about with this wee chap, so the best place to start really is at the beginning. As always, we've tried to sort the man from the myth, but considering he left next to nothing in the way of physical evidence such as art or artefacts, we know what we know from accounts told and later written down about him, which can make things a little bit murky. What we do know is that his father was Yusegi Bagatur, and he was a high-ranking chief within the Kamag Mongol Confederation which was a confederation of tribes on the Mongolian plateau that existed in the 12th century, so more or less a predecessor to what would later become the Mongolian Empire, thanks to Genghis. His mother, Holun, belonged to a forest tribe called the Olkunut. Yusegi took a liking to her and enlisted his brother to act as a wingman, as when a Mongolian chief and a tribeswoman love each other very much, he and his brother abduct her from a recently married husband and forced her into a new marriage. Just as an aside, guys, this is not how you get a girl. Flowers, dinner, a movie, work just as well. Abduction is not necessary. Indeed. Um, Medieval dating advice probably isn't the best to take. Probably not. No. Um, Anywho, Yusegi and Holon went on to have four sons and a daughter together, one of whom was called Temujin, who later became Genghis Khan. Or Genghis so, as to avoid confusion, we'll call him Genghis throughout this podcast. But just so you know, his ri- original name was Temujin, meaning blacksmith. We aren't quite sure when he was born, but the general consensus is around 1162. Legend has it that he was born clutching a blood clot in his hand, which was meant to be a sign that he would be a great warrior and a leader. That's fair to say so he lived... gross, not gonna lie. <laughs> well, it is fair to say that he lived up to that well enough. Yeah, um, his tribe was nomadic, uh, meaning that they travelled around within the tribal territory, never really settling in one place for long. Although Chengis was from a noble line, life as a child nomad wouldn't have been easy. No. Uh, at the age of nine, his father arranged a marriage um, for him to Bort of the Conhagreed tribe. 
Um, he was sent to live with the tribe and serve their leader until he was old enough to marry Bord at the ripe old age of 12. Mm-hmm. Now, this might seem weird or even abhorrent to us now, but please try to remember, this was pretty commonplace back then. Um, a, a girl was old enough to marry as soon as she had her first period, meaning she was then able to bear children. For some, this might not have been until 14 or 15, but for others, it could be as early as 9. Um, hard as it might be to wrap your head around, this uh, was their culture, and we're only not okay with it now because it isn't part of ours. Agreed. We kind of have to say this because this isn't the last time we'll come across child marriages on this podcast, I'm afraid. So it's probably best to get the potential shock over with whilst we're still pretty new. Exactly. So, um, Yersuge left young Chengis with his future in-laws. Then, on the way home, he had the bad manners to be murdered by a neighbouring tribe and enemy of the Mongols, the Tartars. I know. Um, They gave him poisoned food. Uh, When he found out about his father's death, Chengis went back home and tried to take his place as chief. But the tribe refused to acknowledge him and they abandoned his family, leaving them to fend for themselves in poverty. For a while, they survived on whatever they could hunt or forage until a dispute over power caused a rupture in the family unit. Uh, Begta was his older half-brother by another wife, Mm -hmm. and he began to think that he should take his place at the head of the family. Makes sense. Yeah, but this also meant taking Hulun, Genghis's mother, and Begta's stepmother as his wife. They weren't technically related. Well, no, but this would not have been very... Very, very nice. Chengis was having none of it. And he and his full uh, and his other full brother, Chesar, removed the threat, shall we say, whilst out hunting one day. Fair enough. That's uh, nothing like a bit of harmless sibling rivalry. And that was nothing like harmless sibling rivalry. No, 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 it was not. Chengis, however, was now head of the family properly, and things went on as they were for a while longer, until about 1177. So remember, with wishy-washy time, with timings here. Not every era had a Samuel Pepys in his diary to note everything down, sadly. Um, the Taichiud, another tribe that formed part of the Kamag Mongol Confederation, raided Genesis' camp and took him captive. He then escaped with the help of a guard, which was actually the start of his growing reputation. Um, he then joined his family's forces to those of the guard and two of Genesis' childhood friends, Jelme and Boorcho. Their support and guidance and the guidance of his impressive mother as well, Holon, helped to shape him into the Khan he would later become. Um, Whilst this was the start of his meteoric rise, it wasn't plain sailing, and he did have his fair share of troubles resulting from defeats and disputes with those formerly loyal to him. Um, Before we dive into the conquests, or not, of Genghis Khan, let's just first give a quick lay of the land in 12th century Asia, just in case you're not familiar with it. Um, We have briefly mentioned the Kamag Mongol Confederation, but who else was there and were they friend or foe? Well, there was a collection of Turkic Mongolian tribes native to the Central Asian plateau just north of China, including, but not limited to, the Merkits, Tatars, Kamag Mongols and Karaites. Sometimes they allied with each other and peacefully traded, other times they attacked and raided each other. It varied from moment to moment. As with any culture, Alliances could be strengthened by marriage, however you could also bind yourself to a member of another tribe by becoming an Ander, or blood brother, with one of their warriors or chiefs. Genghis's father had an Ander who was the Khan, or chief, of the Karaites called Togrul. 
when Genghis's wife, Bort, was captured by members of the Merkit tribe, he turned to Togarul for help getting her back. Togarul gave him 20,000 men, and together with the support of Jamuka, um, the Khan of the Jadaran tribe, as well as the Amda and childhood friend of Genghis, um, they defeated the Merkits and they got bought back. Ah, oh, that's nice. Whilst this was a win for Genghis, it caused the start of the rift between him and Jamuka. That ended in them going from blood brothers to rivals. That's quite a switch. It is slightly. Um, you see, Jamuka likes the traditional way of doing things, with positions of power being held by ne- members of the established aristocracy. Genghis, however, had been abandoned by this aristocracy after his father had died and had to fend for himself and his family, so he learned to rely on the strengths of the people he could trust. Fair enough. This meant he preferred what is called a metrocracy. Meritocracy. Can you speak? Yes. Meaning people held the power based on their ability. It meant that he often had the best person for the job instead of the entitled son of a noble. Which makes sense. It sounds yeah. like it would be great. But it also meant that he often had a lower class of advisors and followers around him. Something that angered a lot of the traditionalists. Mm-hmm. As he began gaining more and more power, so too did this mismatch of followers and friends. And that just would not do. No. The final straw was his election as Khan of the Mongols in around 1186. Not long before, a shaman named Kokochu had stated that the eternal blue sky had set aside the world for Genghis, essentially saying that he was anointed by the gods to rule the world. Just a little explanation. Their religion was called Tengrism, and they essentially worshipped the eternal blue sky as creator and nourisher of all life, along with the spirit of the earth. Um, We'll put a link in the show notes for some information so you can read a bit about it, and we might talk about it at a later date. Yeah, thanks, Carrie. Um, so being anointed by the gods was a pretty big claim and it made some people not very happy Mm. Um, his former blood brother Jamuka came to see Chengiz as a threat to his own power so he led an army against him not long after his election Uh, he had about 30,000 and defeated Chengiz at the battle of Daylan Busot this may have been a positive step for Jamuka. However, he then turpined in a pretty horrific way, which has led a lot of his supporters to defect from him. Okay, what did he do? He took 70 male captives and boiled them alive in cauldrons and exiled Tukrol for supporting Chengiz Khan. Ah. If you want to make people like you, don't boil alive 70 male dudes. I mean, that's hearts and minds, yes, but hearts and minds charbroiled, no. No. Despite that, however, this was still a pretty significant defeat for Chengis. Not much is known about him for the next ten years or so. However, we can only assume that he rebuilt his strength and spent time learning the hard lessons of life. In some 80s B-style movie montage supported by an epic Michael Bolton or Peter Citra song, or or not, who knows? I mean, I'm 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 all for Michael for Michael Bolton. I mean, mm-hmm. anything anything with that as a soundtrack, it's perfect. It's fine by me. Riding across I'd... the plains, practicing his sword fighting, leading armies and skirmishes. Yeah. I believe that that all that'll. Uh, if he wasn't such a like, I would say nasty guy. If he wasn't so. 
misunderstood. Yeah. You could almost put it to the montage of I will go the distance from Hercules. Yeah. That is a gentleman that's canon. That is canon now. It's true. <laughs> right. What we actually do know, in all seriousness, is that he later resurfaced around about 1197 as part of a joint attack by the Jin, Kratis and Mongol tribes on the Tartars. Remember, these are the guys that killed his father. So, he, of course, he's going to be against them. Um, their victory led to Genghis and his father's old friend, Togrul, being given power once again. Genghis went on to have other victories, and as well as his meritocratic rule, he initiated the policy of taking tribes he conquered under his protection and merging them into his own tribe, even having his own mother, Holon, adopt orphans of the defeated tribes and thereby make them part of his own family. So he's, he's strengthening his rule through family. Um, it was a new and interesting approach, and it made the conquered people loyal to him, consolidating his own strength. It's, it's quite clever, really. However, it wasn't all sunshine and roses, and another rift soon developed, this time between Genghis and Togrul. At first it was because of Togrul's son, Sengum, who had become jealous of Genghis's power and his relationship with his father, so he plotted to assassinate him. Basically saying, you get on better with my dad than me, I'm going to kill you. That makes all of the sense, she said sarcastically. Um, despite Genghis having saved his life several times, Togrul eventually agreed to help his son and started to dissent against Genghis. That's gratitude for you. Um, when the Khan learned about the assassination plot, he worked quickly to quash it, but this wasn't the last of his problems with Togrul. Um, Genghis then tried to arrange a marriage between his eldest son, Joki, and one of Togrul's daughters to solidify their alliance. Makes sense. Togrul refused, which was a big no-no. That was, just, that was the height of rudeness in Mongolian culture. And inevitably, in warmonger tribes, it led to a big fight. Basically, think of the Mongolians as the Dothraki in Game of Thrones. In fact, I'm pretty sure that's that's the culture the Dothraki were based on. Okay. So, you insult them, you die. Mm. Um, Togrul reacted by making an alliance with Jamuka. Remember him? I do. But they didn't quite see eye to eye. And they lost a lot of their forces through a defection to Genghis's side, meaning they were defeated. Jamuka escaped... But the defeat spelled the end of the Kareti tribe. Jamuka fled to the tribe of the Naaman Mongols, another rival, rival tribe to Genghis, and stubborn fighters, being that they were, they refused to surrender. Um, they named Jamuka Gurkhan, which means universal ruler, and this was the final nail in the coffin of his friendship with Genghis. They joined forces with a number of other tribes and set themselves against Genghis, although a number of their leading generals switched sides just before the fighting began. Needless to say, Jamuka was defeated, and his own men turned him over to Genghis. Wow. Despite everything that he'd done to oppose him, however, Genghis offered Jamuka one last chance to be friends. What a nice guy! Even going so far as to execute the men that had betrayed Jamuka, because firstly they betrayed his friend, but secondly if they betrayed one leader, they could do it again to Genghis, which makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Jamuka refused, however, allegedly saying that he would prefer an honourable death as there could only be one sun in the sky. So it's either me or you. And you're in power right now, so you might as well kill me. I'd like to think they parted as friends, though, or allies again. Well, yes. Yes and no, because Jamuka did die. Yeah, but it was more like a... It has to happen this way. Yeah. Um... At this time, an honourable death was considered to be one where no blood was spilt. So, the most common one was having your back broken. 
Um, Genghis obliged, um, oh. said that, um, and had his back broken, so Jamuk was dead at this point. Oh, you're, cr- you're cringing. <laughs> um, it is said, however, that he buried him with a golden belt that Genghis had given him when they first swore their oaths of friendship as blood brothers. Um, I think, despite the legends and warlike personality, this is kind of a testament to Genghis's character in that he valued loyalty and friendship, even though Jamuka turned on him and they became enemies at the end. Um, Genghis at least never forgot the oaths, and he, he gave him one last chance. I like that. It kind of shows that he's almost not. I wouldn't say that they're like the the bigger man or whatever, but it just shows the things that he really cared about. Yeah, and he really cared about the people that helped him, that mattered to him, and it just shows that he would do anything. Yeah, I mean, a lot of his childhood friends, the people that have been with him through everything, he made them um, high-ranking generals or khans in their own right. Um, I mean, he was like the, the head, khan, yeah. but he, he set them up, and um, he gave them positions of power, as long as they obviously rewarded him with loyalty. Mm, but I, I think, I'd like to think that just before um, he had his back broken, they had like a hug. They said sorry for everything and departed in this yeah. this world, almost as equals. Again, to the, to the soundtrack of another Michael Bolton song. Probably. Yeah. Mm. Michael Bolton is the soundtrack of this podcast. He is, yes. We, we, may, <laughs> we may put a link to a good song at the end. <laughs> yeah, no. um, so, one last victory over an alliance of um, remaining Merkit and Niran tribes left Cengiz as the sole ruler in what was called the Mongol Steppe. A steppe being an area of flat, unforested grassland and a savanna, basically. Okay. Um, all the other tribes or confederations either joined him or fell by about 1206. Um, he ruled with a policy of religious tolerance and adopted a general writing system known as the Old Iga. Script throughout the Mongol yes, so Empire. He, so he had that that one unified writing script, the old Iber script. Yeah. So that was across the empire. So people were probably still writing their own dialects, but if you wanted to talk across empire, you'd use that one script, which makes sense. It does. Um, from a military perspective, he gathered a large spy network focused on intelligence gathering to better understand his enemies. He adopted technologies and tactics that he encountered in his, into his own military tactics. Mm-hmm. He had his ruthless side, though, and used a tactic known as measuring against the linchpin. This involved lining up male captives and making them walk past a wagon wheel, and if they were taller than the height of the linchpin, which was inserted at the end of the axle, they would be executed immediately. So, the shorter you were, the better a chance you had. I'd be fine. I'd live forever. I may not be fine. You may not be. I may not be fine. But it's fine. I will avenge you. Thank you. I mean, we're both women anyway, so it's a little point. But well, you know, yeah. Um, he used this with the tribes that fought for Jamuka Jum- um, against him. It was after this unification at the Karendai or Council of Chiefs that he was given the name Genghis Khan. After his death, his son and successor, Obadai. What a name! Named him Khagan, roughly translated to emperor. Uh, near the end of his life, Chengis became aware that there were resentments amongst his sons and he didn't trust them to be able to rule over a fully united Mongol Empire, as he had done. So he split the empire into Kangates, dividing them amongst his sons to rule. Adoggi was the chief among them and took on the mantle of Kargan. 
He was still quite young when Genghis died, so his older brother, Tolu, 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 even, I don't even know why I read that wrong, uh, he ruled as regent for two years until his brother came to power. Tuli's son, Kubli, would later become the Khan of Khans, taking his grandfather's empire to even greater heights, and we shall cover him at a later date. We shall indeed, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Really, <laughs> I mean, Genghis is, is Bay, but Kublai Khan? Bay. Kublai Khan. Kublai Khan conquered China. Mate, when no it was one compass. Compass? compass? No one compass China! <laughs> I mean, Genghis tried. Mm. He very much tried and came very, very close. Um, nobody knows the exact cause of Genghis's death. Um, it's said that he may have been killed whilst fighting against the forces of Western Shia, um, died as a result of falling from his horse, due to illness, or succumbed to either battle or hunting wounds. So all fairly epic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, explorer and merchant Marco Polo, Marco Polo, recorded that he died from infection caused by an arrow wound. Okay. Now, Marco Polo um, was linked in with Kublai Khan. So, Kubler being his grandson, he, he probably would have known the insider, but we're not entirely sure. Mm. Um, one telling was even that he was assassinated by a princess taken captive during the war with the Western Jia. However it happened, the life and power of Genghis Khan came to an end. And where was the Khan buried? Well, nobody really knows that either. Fab. Um, it was his wish to be buried according to tribal custom, without markings, and it's believed that he may have been buried somewhere within the Kentiai mountain range. The legend goes that anybody who crossed the path, crossed the path, anyone who crossed the path of the um, funeral escort was immediately killed as a way of hiding where he was actually buried. Mainly so that his enemies then couldn't um, could desecrate the grave, things like that. So it's it's fair enough. Yeah. There is a Genghis Khan mausoleum, but this was built a long time after he died and isn't at his burial site, as far as we know. Um, this mausoleum was moved several times during the 20th century due to various conflicts and invasions. The beer and relati- relics were returned... To, not his relatives, his relics. Honestly, can I? <laughs> the beer and relics were returned to Mongolia and a new temple was built in 1956. However, this and pretty much everything of value was destroyed by Red Guards... You can tell the angry in my voice right now. By Red Guards in, ni- in the 1968 Cultural Revolution. Um, this, frankly, crime against history. All right, chill, Carrie. Chill. It's something I'm really annoyed about. I mean, if you don't, if you don't agree with the culture of someone, respect that it's their culture, respect their history because that has formed who they are. Mm-hmm. Do not destroy it. Looking at you, ISIS. Mm-hmm. Looking very firmly at you right now, and I'm getting quite angry. So I'm just gonna calm. I'm just gonna breathe. Take a breathe. Take a breather. Take a sippy drink. You know. <sighs> One second. And I'm back. Good. Um, this, this was rectified, or semi-rectified, I should say, in the 70s, when um, the so-called relics were recreated. And in 1989, very good year, mm. a, <laughs> a large marble statue of Genghis Khan was sculpted. Archaeologists are still searching, and a joint Japanese-Mongolian research team found what they believe to be Genghis's palace in October 2004, which could potentially give us clues to the whereabouts of his burial. There is a legend that his grave was hidden by having a river diverted over it, which is what happened to Attila the Hun, another future podcast victim, hopefully. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and yet another says that the area was stampeded over by horses and then planted with trees to hide him. That's what Genghis would have wanted. I believe so. Yeah. One of the truth, he's still waiting to be found. Hopefully it would be within our lifetime, which would be mm. something to see. It would definitely be. So, he was powerful, ruthless, but also fair and tolerant ruler, a good soldier and a loyal ally. But, as with any historical figure, the later reviews of him are a little bit mixed, and honestly, it depends more or less where you stand geographically. Literally. Yeah, literally where you stand. If you come from Mongolia, he is more or less the symbol of your culture. Although, during the communist takeover, he was considered a a dangerous reactionary, and it was considered bad to talk positively about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's undergone a bit of a revival in the past couple of decades, however, and is now referred to as the father of the Mongols and is a prominent figure on banknotes, products, street names, alcohol bottles, anything really. Um, he even has an airport named after him, which Carrie did go on a bit of a tangent earlier as to why more airports in the UK aren't named after people. Yeah, all I'm saying is we need a William Shakespeare airport. <laughs> To land or not to land, that is the question. Hardly surprising, considering the <laughs> empire that Genghis Khan had created at, um, at its... <laughs> Sorry, just steamrolled. <sighs> Hardly surprising, considering the empire he created at its height covered 13.5 million kilometres. That's 8,388,511 miles give or take okay the only empire larger throughout history was the british empire covering a whopping 16 percent of the world sorry they like him in japan as well <laughs> and uh, <laughs> i swear when she had that drink it was just squash it's it is just squash there's this i don't even have the excuse of alcohol yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Genghis Khan was also quite liked in Japan as well, and they claimed descent for him. Um, in China, it's kind of a mixed review. They respect his military prowess and tactical genius, however they were eventually conquered by the Khan and his successors following a 65-year conflict, causing a huge decline in the population of northern China. The Chinese census of 1195 recorded a population of 50 million. But the Mongol census of uh, 1235 recorded only 8.5 million. Whoa. Yeah. However, um, some of that was also migration into southern China. Um, However, his grandson, Kubler, founded the Yuan dynasty that reunited China. So, back and forth. It's a little bit, isn't it? it? Um, On the negative side of the scale, however, he is remembered in Iran as a destructive and genocidal... So not the most favourable of views. No. No. Uh, his warriors are alleged to have killed over 260,000 Persians and destroyed most of the major European, Eastern European cities, excepting Novgorod and Piskov. So that's not exactly surprising. No. Um, he had over 500 wives, although... Only... Oh, yeah. this is where you're getting on about us all being related. Yeah. Um, so, although only his children with his true wife bought were considered his legitimate successors, and it's considered a he's considered a common ancestor of much of the modern inhabitants of both the region and Europe too, um, because of this. So, chances are, if you as said, if you can trace your ancestry back to Europe, it's possible you may be related to Genghis Khan. Yep. 
So uh, when we're doing our family trees, that's how we're related. Hey! Um, one legend that surrounds him is that in a single hour, he killed 1,748,000 people. Well, holy shit. It's impossible. I mean, he would have to kill about 23,000 people a minute. Could you take? This is Genghis Khan, Carrie. Even Genghis Bey Khan can't quite do that. He can't quite do that. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a uh, Genghis Khan, but in this case, he's a Genghis Khan. Uh-huh. Um, he, he wasn't even there. Oh. What happened was, um, it's, I mean, there is some granny in truth. What we believe happened, I should say, is his son-in-law, Tokuchar, was killed by an arrow in Nishapur, which is in modern-day Iran. Okay. Um, his widow, the Khan's daughter, asked that the town be decimated in retaliation. She was obviously heartbroken. You know, obviously. Mm-hmm. And the task was given to his son, Tonwi, um, Kublai Khan's dad. Mm-hmm. Everyone, including women, children, pets, the lot. <gasps> Not the pets. The pets. Even the little doggy wolf woofs. Mm-hmm. All killed. Their bodies were beheaded and the heads were piled into pyramids. It took ten days to complete the pyramids. Um, so, not quite one hour. And nobody's really sure exactly how many people were killed. Not to mention that Genghis wasn't even in the city at the time. He sent Holloway to do it. However, it has been associated with his legend, and lends a slightly brutal undertone to an otherwise impressive figure. And you turn around and say he, he united the Mongolian Empire, he conquered parts of China, he left this massive legacy through his carnates to his, his children... And he killed nearly two million people in an hour. Wow. Damn, son. Mm-hmm. Even if the hour thing is ten days, two million people in ten days is still quite damn, son. Yeah, that, that is that is a bit of going. And the pyramids, I mean, ni- nice touch. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Awkward. Yes, well, we've come to our... The end of our Chinggis Khan podcast. We have indeed. So it's now time for Ridiculous Deaths. It is. Um, it is. That, how you can get in touch with us? There are many different ways. There are indeed. If we're just talking podcasts, there are many different ways to listen to us. Mm-hmm. Um, Buzzsprout, Stitcher, Spotify and Apple Podcasts on iTunes. Indeed. All under at Tarbis History to keep it nice and simple. Yep. Which even works out on our social media, doesn't it, Carrie? It does indeed. You can tweet us at Tarbis History, Instagram us at Tarbis History, or Facebook us forward slash Tarbis History. Yep, and where it all started, the blog, WordPress, at Tarbis History. So we're everywhere, just at Tarbis History. Kind of easy to find. Just look for the photo with two loons in funny hats. In front of a Tarbis. Tardis. Tardis. We're Tardis in front of a Tardis. We are. (laughs) So, now's time for the ridiculous death. Right, this one, Carrie has no idea what I'm about to say. I do not. Um, This one, I've kind of gone for a ridiculous method of death, rather than a specific person. Uh, Okay. Um, It's medieval, so around the same time, 1200s. Quite renowned for their ridiculous deaths. Yes. Did you know that medieval bread could get you high or even kill you. No, I did not. And what's the recipe? Yeah. So, in the summer, it was a particularly difficult time for villagers as they were running out of grain. Okay. So, um, 
and their new crop wasn't ready to be harvested. So they needed, obviously, that to make the bread. And bread was quite a staple in their diet, especially for the poorer people as well as the the richer. But more, the poorer people ate quite a lot of bread. Makes sense, if you want Yeah, so they'd often have to use old rye to make the bread. Right. Unfortunately, stored rye was frequently infected with ergo, a fungus like LSD. It had qualities that caused hallucinations, gangrene, and extreme cases, death. So many people died in the medieval times because they ate bread. They basically had shrooms on toast. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, we've said it before, I'm going to say it again. How are we not extinct? I do not know. But thank goodness for Warburton's, eh? And Hovis. I mean, if, if Warburton's or Hovis do bring out a new fungal range, <laughs> probably best to stay away. Please note, we do not recommend mixing shrooms in with your bread. No, we do not. As but I yeah. said, in some cases, death. Yes, so instead of ridiculous person, we have ridiculous method that killed many. Ridiculous bread. Yes, and on that uh, bombshell, we butter be leaving you now. <laughs> I wanted to come back with a really bad pun, but I just, I just couldn't. That was awful. That was so bad. Oh, if you're a man, I'll be asking if you're a dad by now. <laughs> oh, Carrie. Oh, dear. Bye! Good night. And just before we go, here is a special recording from earlier on in the night when Emily, mouthful of chocolate, tried to say, Jengis. Jengis. Yeah, yeah.